The Napeho King, an anthology. Introduction by Joe Baker. The unanswered questions surrounding my grandmother's allotment and her sudden 1924 death by poisoning haunted me as a child, and haunt me still. I keep coming back to her as a story of the Lenape diaspora. A story of greed and lawlessness on Indian lands, and the wreckage of lives upended. The same practices that unraveled life for our ancestors, and saw our forced removal from our lands in the Northeast, followed us through the generations to Oklahoma. A silence erasing the genocide that haunts our American identity. Lenape Hoking, the first Lenape curated exhibit in New York, and this accompanying anthology of essays by Indigenous scholars, historians, community members, and others, features these kinds of stories, our grandmother's stories. Can the art in an exhibition contain within it the narratives of a family, an entire nation? It is a Lenape story, a story both path, past and present. My grandmother Stellan White Turkey Fugate, identified by the U.S. government as Delaware Roll Number Three One One Five Six Certificate of Homestead Allotment Number One Six Four Eight Zero, on her eighty point nine five acres of land. Are where my family story begins, in nineteen o four Indian Territory. Lands allotted to the five civilized tribes tended to be homestead, with restrictions on alienation, that is, selling or giving away the lands. In this case, the eighty point nine five acres was the homestead allotment of Stella White Turkey Fugate. Granted by the Cherokee Nation. In total, six hundred ten acres of oil-producing land was allotted to the White Turkey Fugate family, and oil and gas leases were granted by James R. Fugate, Stella's father, as guardian of her estate. But in the land records in Washington County, no appointment as guardian by a court exists. James R. Fugate had no rec- recorded authority to grant oil and gas leases on Cherokee property, nor legal guardianship of Stella Fugate's estate. Oklahoma statutes specifically prohibit parental alienation of a child's land without action under law, even if the oil and gas lease was otherwise valid. Which is questionable. It was granted for a specific term of years, and there is no record of its having been renewed. Did the 1904 oil and gas lease expire in 1915, or was it voided by non-consent of title holders on assignment? Why were assignments of the 1904 lease not recorded until 1944? Upon execution of a defaulted mortgage, 
After a share of sale, all the surplus land allotted to Stella White Turkey Fogate was deeded to Cecil Peters in January 1932. None of the heirs of Stella Fogate Wright was of majority, but were represented by Lily White Turkey Fugate, my great-grandmother, as guardian. The legality of a sheriff's sale to satisfy the mortgage is highly questionable. The minor children were not bound by the sale because the mortgage recorded in 1922 was partially released in 1924. The mortgage under which this action arose was not recorded, and there is no recorded guardianship of Lily White Turkey Fugate over the heirs of Stella Fugate Wright Schull, even though it might have been a de facto guardianship. Stella's son, Wilbur Wright, was the victim of a gruesome murder in 1934. Was this somehow tied to a series of land grabs and defaulted mortgages involving individuals and banks? The continuous lease swapping began in 1904 with the Cherokee Development Company for oil production and a complex series of deeds, right-of-ways, and interest assignments. These were executed by James R. Fugate in 1914 and involved Prairie Pipeline Company with a lease issued to Tidal Oil Company that year. This was later transferred to Federal Oil and Gas Company in 1916, Tidal Oil Company again in 1918, to Hoyt Oil Company in 1932, Sinclair Refinery Company in 1937, Tidal Oil Company again in 1944, Dehoit Oil Company, then Seven Point Development Company, then to G.W. Nepper in 1972, to E.J. Wagner in 1977, then from Magana Mortgage to First National Bank City in 1978, to Arco Pipeline Company, Tomahawk Pipeline Company, and finally, Magana Interstate, all in 1978. On April 6, 1971, an emergency order directing remedial work on the allotment was before the Corporation Commission of the State of Oklahoma. It states that one Donald W. Wood was engaged in water flooding operations in that area and that this injection of fluids had contributed to the pressure causing the leakage of salt water and oil from the wells. He was charged with the duty of plugging, replugging, and repairing the wells to remedy the situation. He failed to do so, resulting in an emergency state of irre irreparable injury to the lands requiring immediate action. By the 1970s, at long last, the Stella White Turkey Fugate allotment under the care and jurisdiction of my mother, Liberty Wright Baker, seemed to be at peace. No longer active in oil production, the wells were capped, some mitigation of the saltwater damage had been completed, and the land was leased for farming. Rotating crops of alfalfa and soybeans grew strong in the fertile river bottom lands 
of the Caney River. In 2004, 90 years after Prairie Pipeline had constructed a pipeline without authorization through the allotment, the Plains All-American Pipeline LP announced its plan to construct, own, and operate 100 miles of pipeline to transport crude oil from their terminal in Cushing, Oklahoma, to the Broom Station in Coffeyville, Kansas. This would follow the exact path of the 1914 pipeline, cutting a diagonal line through the Stella White Turkey Fugate allotment. Until her death in October 2004, Liberty Wright Baker was in court, fighting the pipeline. The courts ruled in favor of Plains All-American Pipeline LP, citing the unauthorized 1914 right-of-way on Indian lands granted to Prairie Pipeline and the pipeline was constructed without permission. Beginning in early 2016, the Dakota Access Pipeline protests brought national and international attention to the pipelines, but countless thousands of individual protests among Native families, like those of White Turkey Fugate family, have been underway for generations. This history of ongoing violence directed toward Native people and Native lands is unrecognized by the general population, as is the first genocide of the founding of the United States of America. These stories are largely unknown. It is for this reason that Lenape Center, in partnership with the Brooklyn Public Library, placed its 2022 exhibit, Lenape Hoking at the Greenpoint Library as a site for the intersection of beauty, knowledge, and truth. The library is free of the hierarchies of museum practice and as a free and democratic space open to the discussions of what might otherwise be silenced as too controversial. Not to mention the state of the art library branch known as GEEC, or Greenpoint Environmental Education Center, was funded in part through oil mitigation money. As part of cleanup efforts, after an oil spill in North Brooklyn in the 1970s, pipelines are infamous for such spills. The exhibition presented masterworks by Lenape artists past and present, beadwork, a turkey feather cape, and a culinary tapestry from the seed rematriation project in the Hudson Valley, as examples of the survivance and beauty of Lenape culture. Bandolier bags from 1830 to 1850 are examples of the determination of our Lenape ancestors to continue their culture in a tumultuous time of forced removal and dispossession. A demonstration garden on the rooftop of Greenpoint Library presented indigenous fruit trees that were cultivated by the Lenape in Manhattan, disrupting traditional models of museum presentation. 
original music, poetry, and Lenape Foodways by Lenape artists and friends were also incorporated into the programming during the run of the exhibition. This has proved to be an important and long overdue experience for all who visited the exhibition, facilitating deeper understandings of Lenape culture and necessary awakenings of the place on which this library exists.